Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas Program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch. And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the artistic director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Casey Donovan is one of Australia's most versatile entertainers. After a meteoric rise to fame at the age of 16, Casey became the youngest ever winner of Australian Idol in 2004. Over the last 17 years, she has made her mark not only as a musician, but also in the areas of stage, screen, presenting and writing. After taking a break from music in 2009, under the direction of Rhoda Roberts, Casey made her theatrical debut in Miracle in Brisbane for Brisbane Festival. This was to be the first of many acclaimed theatrical performances thus far in Casey's career, including The Sapphires, As You Like It, Opera Yarrabah, The Flower Children, Rent, We Will Rock You as Killer Queen, and Chicago as Matron Mama Morton. Casey's stage credits have earned her respect from the industry and admiration and awe from audiences around the country. Casey Donovan is currently playing the role of Judy Burnley in Dolly Parton's stage musical 9 to 5. We're delighted to welcome Casey to the Stages podcast. Her enthusiasm for what she does is palpable, evidenced here in this joyous conversation. Casey Donovan, welcome to Stages. Thank you for being with us. It's lovely to meet you. Yes, likewise. You are currently on stage at the Capitol Theatre in Sydney with the musical 9 to 5. It's a stunning production with a, an outstanding cast and uh, I, I think you're magnificent in the character of Judy Burnley. Yes, yes, I am certainly playing Judy Burnley and she's an amazing character to play. The role, of course, played by Jane Fonda in the film from... The, uh, the 80s, I think, 9 to 5. But is your day 9 to 5? What's it like being in, uh, in a big commercial musical? How does your day pan out? Uh, your days, you know, half of the day you spend in bed uh, if you're not doing a double show day uh, just to get that rest in because rest and recovery is the most important thing. But also getting out there, you know, going for walks, being active, catching up for coffees with people, Um and just, yeah, trying to do normal life, but not too much uh, because it is quite a big show. You've got to have something in the, the tank for the evening. You certainly do. 
Did you know the film before you were cast in the role? Because uh, you're a woman of a, of a certain age, a, a young woman, uh, and the film is no doubt um, considerably older. It sure is. And no, I hadn't. I um, ended up watching the film a few weeks prior to going to rehearsal because I thought, well, I better switch my brain on into nine to five and what it's about and, and how it's going to work on stage reading the, the script. So, um, yeah, I, I sat down with my partner and, and her mum and her partner and we all kind of just sat down and had a nine to five evening. And, yeah, it was great watching Jane play Judy and, you know, get a little bit of inspiration from her character and, and how she kind of, yeah, worked Judy. Um, the one thing I loved about watching that was just, the vulnerabilities that Judy has in the show compared to on stage. I feel like the musical is much more fanned out and, you know, there's a lot more storyline because when you watch the movie, Jane's kind of there, you know that her husband's left and got the secretary and all of this stuff. But with the musical, you find out a little bit more of the backstory and you get to meet Dick and do all these things. So it really does play for Judy's arc at the end when she gets to sing it and stay out. So, um, yeah, it was a great movie to watch and, and get some tips from, from Jane Fonda. That's the great thing about the musical theatre platform. It allows new life to be breathed into uh, much-loved uh, classics, whether they be film or books. Uh, one of the stars of 9 to 5, I think, is Dolly Parton's score. She certainly knows how to write a tune and certainly can write for character. She really does. And, you know getting ready backstage and hearing that dun, 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 it's always very much you know gets the adrenaline pumping but her writing style is absolutely magical from you know being a, a country singer songwriter writer to then writing musical theater it's a different beast it's a different world and i think that she's encapsulated every character amazingly and i've a lot of people that have come to the show have said to me that it feels like Dolly's written each of these songs for the individual person as well as the character, uh, just the way that we embody the music. But when a, when a song is written so well, if you can sing it and attach that emotion with, you know, telling the story of the, of the song, it just, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Country music is uh, certainly an emotive genre which uh, assists terrifically in in storytelling. I wonder if you have a particular genre of music that that you like to listen to that perhaps you know uh, relaxes you or or feeds your soul. I love all genres of music. Uh, there isn't one that I particularly will be like, yes, that's that's it, that's everything. Um, you know, I love everything from country music to pop to R&B to jazz to blues and I feel like you know that kind of and musical theatre um, songs which is you know a very eclectic mix um, and I feel like you know when you're feeling down I'll put on some jazz and just kind of you know get really monotone and melancholy with that but when I want to pick me up I'll put on some pop or some you know a bit of heavy metal or a bit of rock just to kind of get the you know get the groove on um, but yeah, I just I love all styles of music and I feel like that's really played into my I guess my life's journey in music is that I can perform so many different styles and I haven't pigeonholed myself into just singing one particular style. It's, you know, music has been my teacher and I've loved that. So, yeah, I guess music all music has shaped me. You're clocking up quite a, uh, a repertoire of, uh, of musical theatre, musical theatre roles in big commercial musicals. They are, they are big beasts, they are big animals. Do you enjoy the machinery of uh, you know, being part of a big company and uh, all that that entails? Look, I love it. it is a, it's a magical beast and I've met so many amazing people. I get to work with the likes of Marina Pryor and Caroline O'Connor, Eddie Perfect, Erin Clare. Uh, so many ensemble members um, and I, you know, not being classically trained or going to NIDA or um, WAPA, I've, you know, really had to lean and lean into the acting world and the mechanical machine that is musical theatre because I'm continuously learning and I'm continuously growing as an actor and, yeah, a musical 
theatre person where I'm like, this is so interesting. You know, it's not Casey Donovan on stage. It's Casey Donovan plays character after character and I've been able to play so many different characters to now kind of, yeah, sit with Judy. It's it's pretty amazing and it's just it's a different adrenaline. It's a different rush. It's knowing that you're there with your peers and your team and everyone stands next to you and there's no higher or lower. It's a good, what makes a good show is a great community and great communication between each and every single person and the safety net that we all provide each other because we all want to go out there and do the best that we can and give the best show. Um, And yeah, I just, I love that about musical theatre and just the love on stage as well as in the audience. And um, look, though you acknowledge that, you know, you didn't go to a whopper or uh, a musical theatre training institution at tertiary level or, or whatever, you are serving quite an amazing apprenticeship. You are being a sponge by working with some of the greatest teachers that you will, you will ever have. So what a wonderful way to, uh, to learn your craft. I really am. And I love it. And I love... I love learning and I love watching and being able to just ask questions to people that have been in the industry for years upon years or people that are just starting out. Um, it's, I love it. And I, you know, I'm very, I guess I'm just very observant and, you know, I just, I love that I've challenged myself to just step into it and go, okay, I'm just going to give this a go. And yeah, I've been able to work with some amazing directors. I've you know, I've got Shakespeare on my resume, which never in my wildest ever dreams would I ever think that I'd have a Shakespeare play on my resume. But, um, yeah, it's just it's amazing in the arts industry and the community um, what happens when you start to open other doors and ask questions and really kind of immerse yourself in the culture. And, you know, I I love learning and I love learning from my peers and they are the best teachers. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to to dress up, isn't it? To throw on a fabulous frock and be somebody else. It is. I love the dressing up. I love the wigs. I love everything about creator and embodying that and finding out different ways of how me as Casey can put on a different, you know, wig and become someone else. And, yeah, it's just I've always been intrigued by that. Are you able to um, have a say in the the look of the character and your choice of wig? Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, Chicago, where you played matron Mama Morton. I know that William Ivy Long, the, the costume designer, would look at the specific talents because Chicago is a show which is... Uh, being done many times and frequently features different cast members, but the costume were all designed specifically for the particular talent that was to uh, to play the role. Yeah, they were. Um, not so much as Judy, but certainly as Mama, you know, it was all, it was still uniformed, but there were little bits of, you know, I guess my ideas that could come to the table, like, you know, the wig and the jacket and the bra and how she stored in the shoes. Um, you know, some shows you do like, you know, nine to five where it's all, the same as you know the big mega musicals because that's just how the shows travel they just you know you don't get to change too much of it but um you know certainly embodying and building your character through costume is a really important and powerful thing um so yeah i loved i loved everything about mama you know that once that jacket was on that was her and i feel with judy um, she gets to wear lots of cute little, you know, jackets and skirts. And once, you know, I've got my hat on and I'm walking, you know, at the back of the deck, I'm just like, okay, Judy's here. Like she gets her little arms. And just, oh, she <laughs> but um, yeah, I love embodying the characters through, yeah, dressing up and what I'm wearing on stage. Yeah, you've constructed a, a beautiful character uh, with Judy Burnley. Um, you, you know, you said the use of your hands, but also I noticed she's got the most gorgeous walk, little little steps she takes, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, a lot of actors sometimes comment that they notice that during the day there is a residue of 
the character. Do you find that, you know, when you're out and about, perhaps at the supermarket, that your your hands are suddenly going or you're, you're sort of running along the aisles like, like Judy? Certainly. Uh, Judy is, oh, God, she's such an interesting character, the vulnerabilities and the little, you know, she does a lot with her fingers, like, because she's always, you know, don't want to say that. Oh, oh yes, we're doing that. But I've certainly noticed, you know, certainly doing the shopping is, you know, just the pottering and the quick walking and the, oh, oh no, I've forgotten that and the bag on the arm and just, uh, yeah, she's, <laughs> yeah. As a kid, did you have career aspirations to uh, to go down the path of, of acting or, or was it uh, purely a, a music industry career that, that you wanted? Um, perhaps even maybe you wanted to be a dentist. Look, I think before music came along, I wanted to be a hair and makeup artist. I... You know, I was growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney out in Condal Park and, you know, I was in a little band and then I ended up being like a soloist with my Then music kind of started overtaking the hair and makeup side of, you know, what I wanted to do and then I went to a music school and music then became the forefront of, yeah, what I wanted to do, how I was going to get to do what I wanted to in, you know, that 16-year-old brain. Who knew? But um, I always knew that I'd have hair and makeup to fall back on if I ever wanted to do that. But, um, yeah, no sooner did that thought happen that I was, you know, auditioning for Australian Idol and being, you know, a household name around Australia at the age of 16. So um, I guess music kind of was then the forefront of my life and acting kind of, I did drama, but that was always the blood subject at school. It was a subject that people just went to sit and do absolutely nothing um which was a bit of a you know a crappy experience because like can't we just play like space jump or do something that's fun um but uh yeah musical theater and acting wasn't really on my radar as a 16 year old um yeah it wasn't until a bit later that my manager at the time kind of said hey do you want to be in a musical and i was like sure what do i do (laughs) what's a monologue (laughs) Uh, looking at your career trajectory it's quite fascinating because it's not a path uh way that you could really sit down and plan it seems that a lot of things have come your way by happy accident and you've you've just jumped on every opportunity and and taken the ride it's been been wonderful to watch but it's it's appears to be nothing that you could ever have planned yeah, it's been amazing and to be able to do so many different things has really taught me a lot um, and I think it's, yeah, a kind of a, a little homage to my parents of going, just give it a go, give it a go and see what happens. You know, if it works, it works, if it doesn't, it doesn't. You've got the experience and you've given it a go. So, um, yeah, kind of mapping out my career, you know, in the last kind of 17 years, you look at it and you go, wow, I've done some very interesting peculiar things um but all come back to the essence of music and singing and yeah being an artist casey do you sing in the shower i always sing in the shower um I use- the acoustics are good <laughs> <laughs> i've stopped running my line oh they are absolutely beautiful but um yeah it's amazing once you get out of the shower it's like oh okay the acoustics have gone but um yeah no, I, I love i love it so in the shower you have the most joyous explosive laugh it uh, it makes everyone feel good whenever it erupts but um, i wonder what what do you find funny what makes you laugh Oh, look, I find lots of things funny. Um, I try not to take life too seriously, but being a Taurian, uh, sometimes life is quite serious when it doesn't really need to be. Um, but, look, I love I love laughing. I, I love a good dad joke. Um, I laugh at pretty much everything, um, which is, <laughs> you know, which is great. But, um, gosh, what does, yeah, comedy makes but- me laugh. My cat yeah. make me laugh. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a good way to be. Um, it's nice to meet another Taurian. I'm a, I'm a Taurian. What are the traits that you see manifest within yourself uh, being a Taurian? Uh, because there's uh, quite a few that we all can recognise. Um, I think I'm pretty stubborn at times. What about you? Can you be stubborn? I can be. Um, I 
my decision making is the slowest thing about me. Um, I will analyze and go over things and pros and cons. Um, yeah, I think making decisions for me is one of my biggest Taurus Taurian traits. Um, Although when it comes to shopping, I'll be impulsive as it comes. I just, yeah, I'll have that. Yeah, I'll get that. Yeah, we need that. But, um, yeah, for big decisions decisions in life, um, yeah, I take my time with that. I can be stubborn. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'd rather not be. I think we can be hedonists too. We like the uh, the good things in life, uh, the great flavours, the, the great sounds. Um, we like to indulge. We like to have a good time. Yeah, and funnily enough, like Torians, uh, you know, one of our chakras is the throat. Um, oh, which yeah, I find yeah. always interesting is that it's, yeah, so, um, yeah, kind of getting to do what I love doing is absolutely amazing. Yep, if you're going to get sick, it's uh, it's going to hit you in the throat, whether that be a, a sore throat, a cold, tonsillitis, uh, that's where you'll get sick. Yeah, sure bloody will. Music is your profession, and I can imagine it will be quite noisy at times. There's uh, a constant oral intake. Uh, do you enjoy periods of silence? Yes, I enjoy silence. Usually after a show, I will drive home in silence. I'll just listen to my ears ringing and just... You know, whether I'm warming down or just humming just to kind of get my voice into where I need it to be, um, I do enjoy silence. I don't like too many loud noises <laughs> apart from music. But, um, yeah, when I'm having quiet time, it's it's pretty quiet. What were the artistic influences like in your childhood? Did you, did you go after the theatre or the movies? Uh, did you... Uh collect cds did you um, read a series of books what did you do for uh, for your entertainment as a kid it wasn't too musical if i'm being honest i you know my teachers were the radio it was you know listening to the top 40 on sunday nights and singing in my room it was you know kind of passing when i'd get to um you know, see my biological father, he always had country music on and the Donovans were very, very musical, um, which sadly I missed out on most of that growing up as a child. But I I went to the Tamworth Country Music Festival uh, with my biological father when I was younger and busked on the street and got enough money to buy a bottle of Sprite. Um, you know, that was my memory of music as a child. And my on my mum's side, her um, uncle, was actually did some musical theatre and she not long ago actually scanned all of his plays into the scanner and sent them off to me and I was like wow so um musical theatres on both sides of my well on one side of my family which is pretty pretty amazing but um yeah that was pretty much it I remember um the first musical I ever went to was Chicago um and it's such a surreal kind of yeah I don't know, Paradox was that, maybe. Um, was that the cast that, that Caroline was in, Caroline and O'Connor? It was. It was. Right. So that was back in... Oh. It would have been about uh, 1996, 97, I think. Yeah, it possibly would have been. And I remember going there and I, I don't have many memories of a child when I was a child. So I get vivid flashbacks and I'm like was that reality or did I just daydream that because I've got a big habit of doing that as well but I remember kind of watching them in the squares and it was very kind of there were lots of things happening and I just went oh wow god wouldn't it be amazing to do that one day and I don't know whether it was in that moment in time where I put something into the universe because I went home and had the Chicago CD and I knew all, all of Roxy Hart's parts, which is <laughs> quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, fast forward to now, I've worked with Caroline in Funny Girl. Um, I've been able to tell her that story of me watching her on stage and saying I don't know what it is or what the universe has done, but... Yeah, I somehow am now sharing the stage with Caroline O'Connor and, you know, 
yeah, it's just surreal. Um, but yeah, I guess that was my musical upbringing. Um, and yeah, listening to the radio and then meeting friends who liked music and they were into grunge. So I was like, oh yeah, cool. I can listen to grunge music and then doing idol and having to come up with all of these genres. And I'm like, I don't know any of these genres. Like, you know, I bless my parents, but they were bloody useless. So I had a a good friend, Mikey, who I went to school with, who was like this music prodigy of a child. Um, And I'd kind of go to his house and be like, all right, this week's theme is 60s. What are we going to do? And he'd be like, all right, let's do some Shaka Khan. I was like, Shaka Khan, let's do that. So, um, you know, (laughs) went and did that. So I've had people kind of helping me shape my music tastes over the many many years so i guess that's maybe why i don't have a a particular genre that i absolutely adore i just adore all of them let's talk about the australian idol experience i i believe it was your stepfather norm who who gently pushed you and encouraged you to participate in the program he sure did. Um, him and my mother were paying for me to go to music school. So he just saw an ad, I think, one day um, on TV and kind of came down to my room, knocked on the door and said, hey, mate, uh, are you going to audition for Australian Idol? And I was like, no, nah, certainly not. Um, but he's like, yeah, he gave me a little ultimatum and said, look, you're amazing. Like, we, your mother and I just want you to know that it's not just us that think you're, there's something there. Like, you know, we want, I was lacking in confidence. I was, you know, not doing too well on the emotional uh, scale of life. And he kind of, yeah, his whole theory was that he wanted me to be more confident, confident in myself and to know that it wasn't just my mother and him that believed that I had something there. Um, and also he was like, if you don't, audition will just take you out of the music school that we're paying for and you can go back to I don't know public school or go get a job uh, or go to TAFE Uh, so I I you know I humored him uh, and auditioned and you know through that process of you know getting further and further um, yeah it was kind of his idea from the start and I remember he said look when you get to when and if you get to top 30 then you can pull it out and I got to top 30 and he said, all right, okay, so what do you want to do? I said, I think I'll keep going. And he's like, I knew you would. <laughs> you were hooked then. Yeah, I was just having fun and just giving it a go. And, yeah, I could feel my confidence slowly, you know, starting to click on and starting to feel a little bit more, oh, maybe I can sing or maybe I can do this. And, yeah, I think his plan worked. <laughs> Well, your, your talent certainly came to the fore and you proved to everybody that you you certainly had the, the vocal chops to, to stay there. But I imagine it would be a baptism of fire for a, a 16-year-old who wasn't entirely confident and having to front every week to not only the studio audience but to a nationwide audience who were um, out there watching your every move. It was nerve-wracking um it i can't really explain it um there are still things where you know i'll be hanging out with anthony or someone from the show and they'll be like oh do you remember do you remember when this happened and i'm like did that happen and they're like yeah you were doing this and i was like everything happened so fast in idol that it all kind of jumbled up and it because there were so many different moving parts, um, I think I was just in the ride and kind of just going along to each stop and going, all right, we'll do this, sing that song, get back and then keep going. Um, I loved performing. I don't think I looked too far into the camera being that I wasn't looking at the camera being all of Australia. It was basically just the studio. Um, So I kind of, yeah, I didn't look too far ahead in that aspect. And I just, yeah, I had my parents there every night that I was performing and it was it was a whirlwind, but I, yeah, I just got through it, I think. Becoming the uh, youngest winner to ever win Idol in uh, 2004 in the, the second season. You just uh, mentioned Anthony Kalea. 
of course, you have graduated. Uh, there is a, a an Australian Idol alumni, and and you've graduated in a class of performers who have gone on to become significant in the worlds of of recording and and musical theatre and, and and television. Uh, it must be great to have that club that you can use as a sounding board occasionally and all have a shared experience and, and look out for each other and um, always check in occasionally. Do you do that? Certainly. it is. Yeah, it is that lived experience together and it's amazing over the years that Idol was, you know, in rotation of how many people from that TV show are now getting to live their life and you know whether they've branched off into radio or musical theater or you know being multi-award winning um artists it's it's almost like touching base when you get to catch up with all of them and and chat and just see where everyone's at i mean the whole thing was everyone wanted to win but i think everyone looking at everyone's kind of trajectory um everyone's won and they've been able to recreate and regroup and just kind of branch out and you know a few of us made it into the musical theatre world um I just saw Millsy's playing in Hairspray which is absolutely amazing um but yeah it's just it is really nice to have that shared experience and to still lift and embrace each other and I feel like in Australia that's so important to just get behind each other and just lift everyone up because uh, there's so much negativity in the world. So I'm a big believer in, yeah, just celebrating each other's achievements and, you know, this industry isn't easy. Um, and, yeah, I just, I love that. Everyone just champions each other. Going into Idol at a very young age, you would be pretty green about the industry, I imagine, um, and also your family. Uh, you've got lots of people telling you what to do and ad- advising you. Um I guess it gets pretty suffocating at times. How do you know who you should listen to and um, how quickly did you adapt to this uh, this new industry? Look, it was, it was certainly interesting. I mean, being a 16-year-old smoker who, when I wasn't inside on stage, I was outside kind of hanging with the crew uh, while everyone else was inside doing their thing. So um, I think I may have escaped some of that but I certainly towards getting towards getting to the end of that show, there were a lot of people that, you know, were like, oh, you should do this or you should try that and you should, you know, or maybe give this a go. Um, and, you know, you take everything with a grain of salt. Um, I was also 16, so I didn't get to go out to the parties or didn't get to do too many things with, with everyone. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, lots of little bits of information that, um either fell by the wayside or, um, yeah, I took it and put it in my pocket. And I can't remember, there was one of the, when I sung Misty Blue, there was someone from Top 30, and I cannot remember her name. I can see her beautiful face. And she came up to me and she said, if you ever get the chance on if it ever comes up, listen to Misty Blue and, yeah, see if you like that song. And I fell in love with it and got the chance to perform it in one of the, shows so um yeah there's there's little things like that um that kind of yeah you you hold on to how confronting was it losing your anonymity uh, you suddenly have become a, a face that the nation recognizes uh again your privacy goes out the window as a 16 year old who was happy being invisible uh prior to the show going live it was it was a lot um you know from going to the shops or going to the movies with friends and trying to have any kind of normality um, was very frustrating because, you know, when you're a teenager, you want to do teenage things. You want to, you know, not me, I don't want to get in trouble, but, you know, be loud or run through the supermarket or, you know, giggle in Hoyts and not have people turn around and be like, oh, my God, that's Casey Dolman. Oh, she's really loud or, you know, it was... It was bizarre to, you know, even from having such a tight-knit group of friends to then everyone knowing who you are and your backstory and, you know, where you're from and who your parents are. So it was it was very confronting um, and especially, I think, in that 
hormonal teenage kind of angsty way I grew up very very quickly um you know I feel like I went from 16 to 30 in a week (laughs) and of course Idol is not the only show in which you have been crowned the winner Uh, I'm a celebrity get me out of here in which you uh endeared yourself to to the nation once again what was it like being in that jungle trapped there for for several several weeks oh oh it was next level i've never felt anxiety like it it was exciting it was nerve-wracking it was painful it was exhausting it was all of the things um and i remember getting a call from one of my mates I can't, I don't know whether it was, who was it? I don't know, but I ended up talking to the exec, uh, Stephen Tate, who was also the exec at of Idol. Um, and, yeah, I was like, kind of, do you want to be on this show? And I was like, oh, we were rock you had just finished and I was driving an Uber and I was kind of going, what am I doing with my life? Is music what I want to do? Like, where am I going? I went through a change of management. So I was at this point in my life where, everything was up in the air and I wasn't grounded and I of course called my stepdad who is my sounding board I was like look I've just had a call and I've been asked if I want to go on I'm a celebrity get me out of here and he's like oh that's you know what that show's about right I was like yeah I've you know I watched a, a few things um and he goes look okay so it's either you know it's completely up to you it's yeah maybe it's what you need at this point in in life and I was like oh okay maybe it is <laughs> Um, so yeah, I went and did the evaluations and all the things to, to get into the jungle. And no sooner did I do that, that I'd landed in South Africa and was awaiting kind of this, (laughs) kind of, it feels like the hunger games where you're just literally waiting to go in and how am I going to get into this point of the jungle? But, um, it was great. It was another, another experience that I have, you know, a shared experience with many other people and have made amazing friends and connections. And I feel like that gave Australia another window to kind of peep into my life. Now, I think at that time I was about 30 and I wasn't that 16 year old girl anymore. I'd gone through some trauma and some heartache and some very, you know, a book with, I wrote a book and got to tell my story about being catfished and, yeah, I kind of got to share the older part of my life with Australia and just be unapologetically myself, um, which I feel like I've always been. But, um, yeah, I didn't think I'd win it, but it was amazing to be able to give $100,000 to the Starlight Foundation and honour that and just, yeah, I I guess kind of get some more confidence about my life and, yeah, it's been it's amazing to know that yeah, Australia's behind me in what I do. <laughs> yes, the country certainly loves you, Casey. You are the nation's darling. In my research, I came across this very profound quote, which I, I just wanted to share. You said there are lots of things that have happened in my life that have made me build resilience, which I'm grateful for because I don't believe we can grow if we don't have hardship which causes me to rewind just a little bit. What were you doing driving an Uber? (laughs) I was between gigs. I, you know, We Were Rocky got cut short. Um, So, you know, having a contract where you think it's going to be this long and then it gets cut to that long and you're like, oh, God, what do I do? Um, So I ended up, I was going through a change of management. I, yeah, I just kind of, went, all right, well, I'll put music on the the back burner for a minute and I'll go out and get a job. And I've always been taught, no, you've got to earn your money. So, um, yeah, I just went, I got a job driving Uber and, um, yeah, it was kind of life experience as well where I got to, you know, meet people and basically pick them up. Some of them knew who I was, some of them didn't. So it was... It was really, really interesting to say the least. But, um, yeah, it was a great time in my life and I kind of, most people would look at that and be like, oh, you've really fallen from grace, whereas I look at that and go, you know what, that's a perfect opportunity to get grounded and know that 
you know, not everything lasts forever. And if you want something, you've got to get hungry enough to get it. So, um, yeah, it's kind of what I was doing. It provided you the uh, perfect opportunity to complete some some character study. I I, I bet you've uh, met some terrific folk and some, some wonderful characters uh, while working there. It was really nice. Yeah, it was very grounding. You drove a bus also for a little while. I did, yes. I drove yeah. an elders bus um, out in Liverpool for the local Aboriginal Land Council out there called Gandangara. So I'd pick up elders and we'd go shopping and I'd drop them off and pick them up. I'd take some people to dialysis and, yeah, I got to really throw myself into the community and, yeah, kind of give back a little bit and just their little faces would light up when they knew it was me driving that day and they'd be so proud and... Yeah, it was really beautiful. And once I kind of got in the swing of getting back into to music and musicals, they, you know, let me know when they were coming along. And it was just, yeah, really, really beautiful. So entry to the musical theatre stage, can we identify and say that it's Rhoda Roberts who lured you to that platform? Um, miracle in Brisbane, wasn't it? It was a miracle in Brisbane. Um yeah, Rhoda Roberts, who is an absolutely amazing human and who has been a massive cheerleader um, of my career. I met Rhoda before I was Casey Donovan. I, yeah, she is a lady I hold very high um, in my book. Um, she has done amazing things for Indigenous people and also the arts within Australia. Um, yeah, so I met her when I was 14 uh, and then throughout Idol and then after Idol, um, she kind of put it to me, which is like, do you want to be in an opera? I was like, an opera? That's interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, okay, what do I have to do? She's like, well, Deb Melman will be in it, um, a few um, people from the top end and we've got, you know, an Italian conductor maestro coming over and all these Italian um I guess, opera people. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my first step into theatre. Not so much an acting role, more of a singing role, but um, it was so interesting. I was like, this is, this is peculiar and I, I quite enjoy this. Um, yeah, so I guess Miracle in Brisbane was my debut into the musical theatre world. The mummers and the puppers. Did did you know uh, any of their repertoire of music? Um, did you know who who Mama Cass was before you took to the stage in the Flower Children? No, no, I didn't. I knew all the leaves were brown, um, California Dreaming, um, but I didn't put it together. Um, and that was another great musical, which I wish more people had seen. Um, it was such. A great musical and I never ever thought I'd play the role of Mama Cass um, but it was enlightening and I really feel like that yeah that kind of solidified me into what musical theatre was about um, yeah and it was just such a great great musical it was such an interesting story you know learning about uh, Mama Cass and you know the hardship they that she went through and being able to kind of go, oh, yeah, there's bits of my life that I can put into that and kind of working my way through that and the creatives around that were really amazing people and um, the writer, uh, Peter, was just so knowledgeable about the mamas and the papas and especially Cass and it was such a beautifully sad story that I got to play night after night and the music was just magic. Um, yeah, there was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't say I don't know what they were on in that time because I surely bloody do. But um, yeah, <laughs> just you know that whole era of the '60s and early '70s. I feel like my music career has kind of been around that era for a very, very long time. And yeah, the Flower Children. I really wish that it would be revived and be able to come back and yeah. Yes, fingers crossed, because um, you only played Melbourne, didn't you? A, a great uh, piece of uh, musical theatre or biography uh, written by Peter Fitzpatrick. We only played Melbourne and we did a return season. So we started out at, um, oh, what's that little theatre in St Kilda? Something Works. 
Theatre Works. Theatre Works. Yeah, it was Theatre Works. Well done. Theatre Works, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we did uh, the comedy in 2011, um, which was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Then you're appearing in uh, quite an uh, iconic contemporary musical piece of, uh, of theatre. Um, Rent, that must have been exciting. Yeah. So everything's so different and things that, because I don't have a musical theatre background, all these musical theatre kids come up to me and they're like, oh, you'd be amazing playing this role, you'd be amazing playing this role. And then, you know, because we are going through a change in musical theatre, we're becoming more diverse where you know characters aren't just you know black and white they are all of the colors of the rainbow and all of the the genders and I feel like musical theater is going through this massive change at the minute where it's allowing different people with different backgrounds to be able to go why can't I audition for that role why can't I do that and it's you know the creatives that are like well, why can't you? Let's just do it. Let's audition. So it's not the cookie cutter musical theater anymore. It's this explosive, exciting change and it's bringing new energy and new vision and breaking down all these barriers. So never in my life did I ever think that I'd be playing Joanne from Rent because, you know, I didn't look like her. I was, you know, about probably 100 kilos heavier and it didn't really makes sense until you know i got a call saying hey would you mind putting a tape down for joanne in rent i was like oh sure uh okay yeah i can yeah cool i'll do it putting it down thinking not gonna get it like it's just one of those things where you're like cool i'll give it a go you know get the creatives um thoughts back um yeah and then i got to be a part of something very, very magical. Uh, that production of Rent at the Hayes was another point in my life which kind of changed it and I got to meet amazing people that are still very much a part of my life today and work with amazing creatives and give an independent theatre like the Hayes, you know, which they don't need, you know, they've got so much accolade and respect and it's just such a beautiful theatre to be a part of and to kind of help build that with them by going, cool, yeah, we'll just do this. It was, yeah, pretty amazing. But Rent was such, yeah, it was a, a beautiful moment in my life and, and one that I hold on to. Well, let me throw my two bobs worth in. Um, do you know the musical Gypsy? I think it'd be a wonderful Mama Rose. Gypsy, I have heard of Gypsy, yes. Well, you better get onto it. And, um, of course, you know Dreamgirls. Oh, yeah, I know Dreamgirls, yeah. What about giving us your Effie one day? I would love to play Effie. She's certainly oh. on my, my list and also um, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, the villains are the best characters, aren't they? They really are. So the contrast of playing Judy Burnley, being this sweet, innocent, vulnerable, little, beautiful woman who, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly is such a beautiful contrast to the characters I've portrayed before. It's, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a nice kind of balancing act. <laughs> You're building a, a resume of villains with uh, Killer Queen and, and Matron Mama Morton and, oh, I've just got another one, um, Sweeney Todd, Mrs Lovett in Sweeney Todd. Oh, look out. There you go. I haven't actually seen Sweeney Todd. Heard a lot about it. All right. Well, there's your homework. That's my homework done. With a show like uh, Chicago and Matron Morton, how do you amuse yourself in your dressing room? Because you've probably got three or four entrances on the stage. Um, do you do crosswords? Do you knit? What are you doing in the in the dressing room to amuse yourself during the show? Funnily enough, so the production of Chicago we did in 2019, 2020, um, I don't know whether they'd done it in past productions but on our stage on the um prompt and op sides up beside the band riser was were two yeah i guess walkways where there were seats all along so when mama came out to do you know when you're good to mama do the scene kind of go off I'd have to come and sit on a chair on stage 
in darkness. So I didn't really get to go back to my dressing room quite often because <laughs> I was just sat on stage. Um, but yeah, when I was kind of pottering about, I just, yeah, I just sit and listen to the show. I'd usually just be talking along to the show or talking to Mary Sunshine. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's nice to do feature roles um, and come out and, you know, do your numbers and then, you know, G.O. But I all also find them quite stressful because the story started, your bit is quite, you know, it's a, an important bit of information to where the story is going to go. So for me, I would stand side of stage and lots of people that have worked with me and Rob Mills will, you know, agree with everything. Um, I pace and I run my lines and I, you know, I very much have a side OCD, um, you know, I have trigger points where that part in the musical starts, I'd start doing lines for that part of the show or I'd start doing this or I'd have to stand here at this point in time and, you know, <laughs> not great when musical theatre is all about change. Um, but I got into these really horrible habits of having OCD and having to do all these things because I was doing little feature roles where I had this, I put this, enormous amount of pressure on myself that if I dropped anything, like I'd stuff the storyline. <laughs> so um, yeah, I went into this kind of everything has to do this, but um, yeah, I did. I loved playing mama each night and just that suit was just everything. <laughs> so Casey, uh, are you superstitious in the theater? I'm sure you have your routine and the, uh, the goals that you set yourself for a performance that particular evening, but um, do you feel obliged to to honour the superstitions which which exist around theatre? Yes, I mean each night on Chicago, I had to whistle in the on track, um, which was kind of bizarre. So I was breaking that barrier, um, you know. And I feel like Chicago was all about breaking theatre theatre etiquettes. You know, there's black umbrellas that go up, there's whistling, mm. there's all of the things that happen in Chicago which shouldn't, you know, you kind of just don't do in theatre. Murder. Murder, there you go. But um, <laughs> look, I do, in this show, I'm trying to eliminate all of those things and just enjoy myself and not waste time doing those things because, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work on myself and my anxieties and, you know, anxiety is only something when, you know, when you've done it, ticked everything off the list. Your brain needs something to do, so it's going to make you worry. So I've, yeah, I've learnt to kind of sit with that. There are a few little things that I still do, um, but yeah, not to the extent that I have done in the past. But um, yeah, there's a few little, few little knock on wood things that happen backstage in case something happens. But um, yeah, no, look, apart from that, I respect theatre etiquette and, um, you know, a lot of people have different quirks and you've just got to be respectful, which is what I've learned in the theatre. If someone's, you know, standing by themselves, usually just let them stand by themselves yeah. until they approach you. Um, and that's one thing I learned very, very early is, you know, people are talkers, people are listeners, people are just people that just want to stand and, you know, get into their character and what they need to do um, because there are lots of things that change in theatre. You're also sensational in an Australian musical called The Sapphires, which was a, a beautiful show. Um, did you have an opportunity to put your hand up for the film and, and did it sting when um, the film didn't go, go your way? No, it didn't. Look, I auditioned and as with all auditions, you, well, I leave them in the room. Um, you know, there's re obviously reasons that I can't control why I don't get parts. Um, Sometimes it's a little disappointing, but you're like, you know what, as long as I was on the thought process of getting there, that's, you know, that's enough You're on the radar. Um, but, you know, with our job comes a lot of rejection um, and you just learn to kind of go, oh, cool, it ebbs and flows and it always will. And, yeah, I think it is also a way that shapes you as a artist and a creative um, to kind of go, okay, cool, that's not, yeah, it's not the end of the world. 
Um, but I loved the sapphires. I that was kind of my first taste of musical theatre, uh, with you know, creating a character, dialogue, music, dancing, um, and you know, playing a really important role in getting history up and out there. Um, and getting to do that in all of the style because it was very glitzy and glamoury. <laughs> Nine to five, the the musical you're doing presently. Do you have a, a favourite moment in the show? Oh, I've got so many moments. Um, it's just a great show. And I think after the last two and a half years of there being so much, I guess, I don't know, everything up in the air, are we doing this we're not doing this are we coming are we going where are we um i think this musical has joy it has great music it has broken the rules of the pc um because it's not a pc show uh which you know people come along and you can always see the husbands in the audience and like oh here we go and you know watching them giggle is great um and also watching them squirm is great (laughs) But um, there are so many great moments in this show. Uh, I love when Judy comes out. I love watching Marina play Violet and just absolutely boss lady every night. She is just so much fun to work with and her moments of, you know, one of the boys and just absolutely rocking it night after night. Um, You know, Erin Clare singing, you know, the beautifully heartbreaking Backward Barbie uh, not being accepted and just, you know, is this the world we live in where people just take everything on face value and don't dig any deeper? And, um, yeah, of course, the moment um, of where Judy steps, stands in her power and gets to sing Get Out, Stay Out, um, that is certainly a moment. Um, and it's one I can feel each night I walk on to take the tray away from um, <laughs> Eddie. Um, yeah, it's always you can feel... Everyone go, oh, here she is. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Um, yeah, that's always it's always a great moment. Yes, I think you'd call it the uh, 11 o'clock number. I mean, it is sensational and it brings the house down, I'm sure, at every performance. And it's all because of you, Casey Donovan. Oh, thank you. But I also feel like, you know, there's it's that empowering moment where, you know, She's got Franklin Hart tied up and she's pushed him up and he's up flying in the, you know, hoist and then, you know, Dick's there and she finally has that moment where she's like, no, you're going to listen to me. This is how it is and I won't stand for it. And you can feel almost everyone in that audience, whether it's from, you know, heartbreak or moving jobs or just something, everyone can relate to a moment in their life where they've stood in that power and gone, enough is enough and it's beautiful to have everyone in that audience on that journey whether it's Judy's journey or their journey it's yeah it's it's magical and that's the beauty of music and musical theater and telling stories and creative creating and yeah I love that. Nine to Five plays the Capitol Theater in Sydney for another couple of weeks and uh then you're off to QPAC in Brisbane and then in Melbourne from July 10. So you've got quite a year ahead of you. We sure do. And we've just added Adelaide. So, yeah, we're heading down to SA, which is so very exciting. You're going to see a bit of Australia. We are. We're going to see a bit of Australia. And finally, you know, getting down to Adelaide to do a musical uh, would be absolutely amazing. Well, Casey Donovan, you're a a wise woman, a spectacular performer, and you simply ooze joy. Um, It's been a delight to have this conversation with you over the past hour. Oh, thank you very much. It's been great. I hope I made sense. Uh, Sometimes I just chatter about and, you know, the day goes. You make perfect sense. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. Catch 9 to 5 as it plays theatres around Australia throughout the year. The show features Marina Pryor, Eddie Perfect, Caroline O'Connor and the fabulous Casey Donovan. The Stages podcast is available to access and subscribe from Wooshka, Spotify and Apple Podcasts or from wherever you access your favourite podcasts. 
a conversation with creatives about craft and career. Recipient of Best New Podcast at the 2019 Australian Podcast Awards, follow our socials on Instagram at Stages Podcast and on Facebook at Stages. Or the website www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. <laughs>